When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. All right, here we go. Episode number 29 Project Upland Podcast. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Nick Larson here with you, and I am very excited for you to hear today's interview. You are going to love it, and I am certain that almost everybody, now I take that back, everybody will take something away from today's interview with our awesome guest. He is a professional wing shooting instructor. I don't know about you all, but I could use a little help in that area, and I'm sure that most of you could too. It's always something to be thinking about, especially right now during the off-season. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But first, Gumleaf Boots, GumleafUSA.com. Check them out. Fantastic rubber boots. GumleafUSA.com. Use promo code PU2018. Free shipping on anything from Gumleaf Boots. And this week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast gear giveaway. A little different. I think I just decided 
on a new way to give something away because I have a special thank you today to a listener of the show, John Nordeen. John Nordeen connected me with today's guest. He's a fan of the show. He reached out to me. He sent me an email, nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com and said, hey, Nick, you want to talk to Keith? He would be a great guest for the show. And John was right. Keith is a very cool guy. I chatted with him a couple of weeks ago. We had a couple of scheduling snafus and just couldn't get it done until today, actually. But we got it done, and you are going to enjoy it. So, John, thank you so much for suggesting Keith as a guest to this show because he was phenomenal. And that goes out to all of the listeners out there. Send me your suggestions. We appreciate them. Our network is your network. You know people that would make great podcast guests, and we would love to hear from you. So please feel free to contact us. John, I'm going to contact you as soon as I'm done recording this, and you can go on the Project Upland website and pick out a hat or a T-shirt, and our listeners could be a winner next week by doing any of the following things, subscribing to our podcast, leaving us a rating, leaving us a review, sharing the podcast, or giving me a guest suggestion that turns out to be as great as our guest today, Keith Coyle. Now, with that said, we're going to jump right into today's interview. I mentioned his name. Keith Coyle is a professional wing shooting instructor. He shoots at the Green Acres Club down near Chicago. He is trained in the Robert Churchill method of wing shooting, which we will talk to today. He's been a professional wing shooting coach for over 25 years he knows a lot, and he's a great teacher. He's very good at sharing what he knows and helping you visualize exactly what he's talking about and the techniques, and we go into a lot of it today, and I'm just going to let Keith tell you the rest about his story, his background, and what he knows about wing shooting. So let's get into it. Today's interview with professional wing shooting instructor and our guest on the Project Upland podcast, Keith Coyle. Mr. Keith Coyle, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you? Very good, thank you, Nick. And delighted to be on the show. And uh, my thanks for you, for you giving me the invite. Pleased to be here. Absolutely, it uh, it is my pleasure to have you on, Keith. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation. We had the opportunity to chat a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's a it's a timely conversation. As as for most of us, the off season is in full effect. But with that said, hunting season is within sight. We are we're about four months away. So I think there's you know it's always always a good time to be thinking about our shooting skills, even though we don't always do that. But uh, like I said, I was very much looking forward to having this conversation with you, and uh, we're happy to have you on. Thanks. And as you said, this is the time when all of us that shoot uh, should be thinking about getting the uh, gun out of the cabinet. When I was back in the UK, this was very common. British-driven game shooters would finish at the end of the season, 31st of January. They put the gun in the cabinet, and then, of course, uh, they book their shoots and get their dates in the diary, and all of a sudden it creeps up on them, and they decide they've got to get the gun out. And the first question I always used to say when clients would book in the lesson and say, uh, is it rust and spiders down the barrel? Uh, which was <laughs> Because it hadn't been out the cabinet since uh, since 31st of January. And now their first shoot is coming up possibly on the, the 12th of August, which was opening day. And my phone would start ringing 
certainly uh, towards the middle end of July with people trying to trying to get that lesson in, get the warm up before the season started. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are shamefully smiling and and nodding along, <laughs> as uh, as am I because I have I have certainly I've certainly been that guy, uh, but we don't have to be that guy or girl going forward. And uh, and we're hoping that you can give us some pointers today, Keith. So let's. Why don't we? Well, actually, let's swear this away. You are down in Illinois. Is that correct? Yep, I'm down in a, a just outside of a small town called Roberts in Illinois. We're we're about 90 minutes south of Chicago on the main highway, which uh, some may know it's the I-57. Uh, we're just uh, again the nearest town from us is Champaign, but we're right in the heart of really great uh, shooting country. Green Acres Sportsman's Club has has actually been one of the best kept secrets in Illinois. It was originally founded in 1973 by a group of guys in Chicago that realized that if they were going to continue to hunt, they'd need to buy some land to protect their hunting, and that's what they did. Uh, It's been going on. Over the years, it's grown. The present stewards, the manager of the the, uh, club, is in the hands of Dan and Cindy Erke, very famous now because Dan runs the Gundog Success Program, which is just huge. And as much as Dan's a good friend and technically I work for Dan, he, without doubt, is the best dog trainer I've encountered on both sides of the, the pond. Uh, we lovingly refer to him as the Dog Whisperer. And he's built the Gun Dog Success Program. Uh, alongside that, the club has grown. Uh, we now just have about 1,200 acres of superb land, upland hunting. We Dan has developed a waterway system. We've got great ducks. Uh, I'll, we can talk about that later because we do both this traditional American uh, duck hunt from a blind. But our ducks are non-migratory. They're bred ducks. And we actually have a young gamekeeper because now we do, the, the one thing we can do is actually British driven duck where we, we literally drive the, the ducks over the heads of the guns and it's a different day. Uh, we shoot that the day is planned by the number of ducks that are shot at the end of the day unlike a tower shoot where, of course, you buy it by the, the birds released. So it's a, great, it's a great spot. Dan invited me over back in 2015 when we really were put in touch more by accident than desire. Uh, a club member uh, just came onto my website in the UK. And uh, anyway, I came over. We introduced simulator-driven shooting, and we've grown from there. Uh, we, 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 we've enhanced sporting clays. We've rebuilt that and our reputation. So, uh, but yeah, right in the middle of the great Illinois countryside, farmland all around us, great people, and thoroughly uh, enjoying every minute. Excellent, excellent. That's good to hear, Keith. And and you are just just for to get it official. You are head head shooting instructor. What's your title there at the club? Yeah, well, what I do is I run I run the the shooting school, and I also manage or oversee the clays elements of what we do and i'm what we call the shoot captain i now of course am the master of ceremonies for both our american tower shoots and all of our british driven shoots the only part of the hunt that i don't necessarily oversee on a, on a daily basis is the upland hunting and that now is in the hands of our excellent young keeper uh tyler he's he's just an excellent chap 
we've had him on board for just under a year. So he does that. But my, I, so my role, I run the shooting school, cover all the clay targets and uh, all the all the the real driven or the the tower shoot elements. Right, which is exactly why we wanted to have you on the show, Keith, and uh, and uh, we will we will we will dive into a lot more of that. But first, I want to rewind. Uh, you alluded to it already, and our if our listeners are savvy, they uh, maybe hear it in your voice. But uh, you mentioned the UK, and you are originally from the UK. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and sort of what led you into the world of shooting and or upland hunting? Okay. I My early career was uh, British Army. I served for 10 years, and... Uh, I came. I had to leave in 1979 uh, through injury, and I came out, got got into some work, and as all of us do, friend comes along and he says, "Hey, would you like to come clay pigeon shooting with me?" I said, "Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds good fun. I, I'd have a go at that." So of course, like everybody, you go along with your friend. I went to the local clay, little clay club that we had in England at the time. And luckily enough, they had a, an old chap who was a coach, so I kicked off in the right direction. Um, and, of course, got the bug. Uh, I was, hey, after shooting for an hour, that was it. I was full. So, from, from I, see, I was a townie, but very quickly, I, I was born in North London. Now, I'm sure some people know that that's like being in, born in Chicago. We haven't got green fields, and the only guys had guns were the gangsters. Uh, so, yeah, I had no background. I, I had no background. So the great thing was when, when obviously uh, we'd moved out into the country in the early 60s, as many, as many cities did in the UK, London was still fairly bombed out, uh, even by the, the late 50s. So there was an exodus. My parents moved off to the country, and I'm lucky I go out in the country. Uh, so we did about them. Don't I come back from the army, say, go to the clay shoots, brilliant. But what this does, this actually really drew me into the countryside. I really started, I, I was a I grew with, you know, I was clay shot. I eventually got into competition clay shooting. Um, but by the late 80s, um, purely by accident, one day at the local club I was going to, uh, the old chap who was the coach, he was taken ill, and the ground owner said, Keith, can you come out and run the lessons? Dave's been ill, he's gone home. Uh, so I, was, I, was jump, I jumped in. I mean, luckily enough, I'd, I'd obviously taught certain elements in the army, uh, I'd also, for 15 years, I was a student at Kendo Japanese fencing. And I was also, if you like, I was a, a, an instructor in that too. So teaching was something I, I really sort of naturally went into. So from this day, when the, you know I take over the lessons, I really enjoyed it. I really did. And I thought, oh, I could really, really love to do this, you know, full time. So I started to do it as part time. Uh, people were starting to pay me. And that's a big thing. So I thought, right, if people are paying me to, to do this. I want to learn to be a good coach. Now, at the time, the Clay Pigeon Shooting Association in the UK, uh, the coaching system was run by a man called Roger Silcox, which many of your listeners may already have heard of. A really, really famous guy. So what happens, I book on my CPSA coaching course. I go up to the week and I meet Roger on my course. And for whatever... <laughs> For whatever re- reason, Roger decided at the end of that week, uh, he we sat down in in, in the boot of his, by the tailgate of his car in the car park, 
and he offered me the opportunity to go and be his protege, to go and work with him, wow. uh, which was a fairly major, which was a fairly major. I mean, I you can imagine. I mean, I really, you know, I'd worked with Roger during the week. We had built a rapport. Um, I was always the guy that when you needed to pick on somebody, I was the one that got picked on, you know, and pulled out <laughs> and pulled a pin. Um, but I was army, so we, I'm used to that. So at the end, yeah, uh, but it was great because Roger understood I had a young family. Um, I, I was uh, had to earn a living. And uh, he said, right, if you want, you can come and, you know, you can come and have a, a room at the farmhouse where we were at the Roses with Chint School, and you can come and be my protege. But I'll pay you but you have to be my gimp, if you know what that means. You know, I was the boy. So I, I, I lived on the east side of England. My wife and three kids were still there. Uh, Brenda was brilliant. She immediately supported the fact that I was going to have to leave home on a Monday night and she wouldn't see me till the following Saturday evening when we'd finished, uh, which is what we did. I'd, I had a room at the Roses with Chinton School. I went down to Roger um, and literally for the, the first three months, all I ever did was stand there pressing the button for him during his lessons and listening. Um, <laughs> whilst at some point, it, was, it was my job. You know, I got up at five in the morning, I went down to the ground, uh, I made sure the, the traps were working, they were loaded, the batteries, you know, so I was the king. I mowed the grass, I did the pickups, and this, and this is at 38, I must have been the oldest king in the world. So, because <laughs> I, you know, there I am, I am, or I am listening to Roger, I'm buttoning for him. He would include me in conversation and ask my opinions in lessons. It was brilliant. And, of course, there, there were certainly lots of things. Remember, that there, there were things he told me on the very ever first day. And I'm pleased if there are clay shooters listening, please don't take this offensive. But I was a clay shooter. And when I went to Roger, you know, I'd done the CPSA course. I go and work for him. And the first morning he says to me, he says, well, Keith, he says, I need to tell you one thing. You're never going to make any money out of clay shooters. And I, well, that's what I was going to do. He says, no, boy, he says, I told you. He says, we don't make any money out of clay shit. He said, because they knows it all, even if they've only been doing it two weeks. So immediately, I have a blank face. And he says, the people you're going to have to earn money out of are the game shooters, the British-driven game shooters. They're the guys <laughs> with money. So in a sense, that was very critical because that's now going to lead me into truly... Uh, Coming into the into game into into wing shooting, obviously, and, and it led me into being involved in the countryside, because as much as obviously uh, I continued to, to shoot clays and we, we were doing the lessons, the next thing I know is Roger's got me. I, I'm going on local game shoots. He's arranged for me just to go and be a beater for the day, you know, beating the birds towards the guns, and I learned the thing from from the, the very bottom upwards. So now I'm really involved with the countryside and. It, it's just a brilliant world, and uh, I'm, I'm going out. The next thing I know, I'm, I'm arranged to be shadowing some of what we call the shoot captain. He's the guy on the day, like the MC. He's very critical. He's, he greets the guns. He gets them in the right place. He's liaising with the gamekeeper, so we get the birds over the gun. So this is all going on. At the same time, I'm now being taught how to teach. Um, so... I'm not a champion shot that's, that's decided he's a great coach. I'm actually now being taught how to teach. And I'll state it now as I say to everybody, I'm no genius. I'm not a genius at all. I didn't invent the wheel. Uh, I was just so very fortunate to be taught by genius. You know, here's Roger Silcox. You know, this is the man that heads up the, the whole coaching system for the CPSA. 
But at the same time, after about three months, and I'll shed forward, I, I'm getting involved a little bit. Um, we go out one evening, and he, he's going to take me to see a good friend of his, uh, which was in the city of Bath, shortwave where, where the shooting school was. And that night, he takes me to meet the man, Christopher Craddock. Now, again, some of the, your listeners may not know of him, but he, he's incredibly famous. Um, uh, he, he was, he was the, the director of the CPSA in its early years. He was, he was brought over by the NSCA to set up the first point and clay shoot over here. But the great thing about Christopher is he taught me my gun fitting skills. And literally, every Thursday evening for three hours, Roger would take me to Chris's house. I'd spend time with three hours with Chris Craddock, and I went around there every night for three years. And this is where the, it comes, because Christopher Craddock was the last man ever to be tutored by the great Robert Churchill. And some again, your guns will know there are two great names in historic shooting and coaching in the UK. One is Percy Stanbury, who was at the West London Shooting School, and the other man is Robert Churchill. Uh, yeah. He was the man who, who, who came up with the 26-inch barrel side-by-side for use on the grass field. So for me, that's really how it all starts to begin. Uh, so I'm working with Roger every day. Uh, I'm going around Chris's every night. I'm being taught gun fit. We were going to Chris's, his, his main room, and uh, the room he had was basically a giant library. Um, I mean, the, the, only, the only space that wasn't covered in books was the, the front window looking out over the front yard and the door. It, it literally was wall-to-ceiling books from everybody that was anybody, Robert Churchill, of course, but all the other famous books. It was just, it was a, an apprenticeship which uh, I couldn't, no one could afford to pay for. It, it, I, I was just incredibly lucky. So after three, you know, I was working for full-time Roger for three years, then another two years part-time. Uh, I'd been with Chris for three years. I'd, I'd learned, obviously, uh, my gun fitting skills. Um, and then Roger started to come over to America. He told me he was then deciding to retire to serve the shooting school. But that led me on to lead to my, my next great mentor and friend, a man called Sam Grice, at the Longacre Shooting School in Cambridge. And that really was, had its roots in uh, wing shooting, both driven shooting and what we call walked up, which of course is American upland, it's the equivalent to upland shooting. And if anything, Roger, I think Roger taught me my, all my technical skills, but it was working, <laughs> working with Sam for 15 years. Um, it was Sam who really taught me how to, to teach. He was the man who taught me how to uh, pass the, the, the information on and skills on. Uh, to all the different people I was going to come up with. You know, I, I, I ended up, I took aristocracy down to the good old farmer down the road. Um, everybody and everybody. You know, it's like the old Kipton, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, walk with kings and the common folk. Um, but Sam was just brilliant. He was another great character. Um, he'd been a, the head of music at the Leeds College in Cambridge for 30 years, uh, as well as a great, great game shot himself. He was a coach. Um, he, he was actually again mentored by another uh, very old famous uh, English instructor and so yeah it was, it was working sad but it brought me into the countryside and I, I just it was just brilliant um, I, the one thing I really enjoyed was going off I, I would accompany uh, guns to their first game shoot uh, in the UK if uh, until you're 16 any junior has to have a minder so they, they can go and shoot from 11 years upwards. And I've seen even, I've even had youngsters, you know, young, you know, younger people 
I've talked to shooting with on game shoots. So I've done a mine for, for certain people on the day. Then, of course, I'd get game shooters going on their first day. Big social thing in the UK. You, you certainly don't want to do anything where you, where you feel you, you made yourself look foolish. And, of course, sure. you want to be successful. Hit, hit the birds. So by doing that, that, every day I was going out, I was involved. And, of course, the majority of my coaching over the 15 years with SAD was for the wing shooter, the, the, both the, the driven and the upland. Sam didn't particularly want to teach clay shots because I'd been a successful clay shot and I'd been with Roger. Uh, whenever we used to get somebody coming to the school, I, I, did, I did the clay shooting's lesson. Uh, and I have to say, I had some great success there. I had two junior champions during my time with Sam from 95 to 2008. Um, I, I had some very good uh, very good results with some good shooters. And recently, I, I think I was uh, only in the UK for about a year in 2014. We came back from after five years of teaching and designing shooting grounds in the Arab Emirates from 2009 to 2014. But while I was at home, before I came to England, I had a young chap come to me, spent two days, we did a coaching clinic. And he'd been shooting for just on a year but he really wanted to do it as a good sport and, and get into it. And I'm delighted to say that um, only just last week, uh, he shot the English Open Sporting Championships. And uh, overall, he was the 11th, you know, the, the 11th highest score. Um, he was joint third with five others. And uh, that's a great, his name is James Hardy. Uh, last, this year, after only three years, he was placed in the, he was number 19 in the top 20 sporting clay shooters in the UK. He's had some great results, but this one, he, he's outshot, he outshot George Digweed, one of the great British shots. The, there are two British champions in there of various degrees, and he beat them. So I've, I've, I've had a pretty good fortnight with some good results. So uh, overall, that's really the background. So I was a trained teacher, as much as I was a competitive shot. Just say I'm I'm very fortunate. I, I did this apprenticeship, and I'm I'm apparently the last uh, direct living coaching descendant now from the great Robert Churchill, because Craddock was the last man that that Churchill mentored. Uh, Silcox was was Craddock's protege, and I was the last man that Silcox as is mentored, and I was the last man that Craddock talked to Gunfit. Um, so I've, I'm afraid I've got a bit. <laughs> I've got something to live up to, as, I, as my wife says. No pressure, then, really. <laughs> wow, Keith, that was that was that was enlightening. You took us on a you took us on a journey there, but I, but it was it was so fascinating. I, I I just had to let you roll. I mean, really, really a unique story, and and I appreciate what you how much you highlighted the the knowledge and the opportunity to learn from your mentors and something that something that always interests me and and i you know over and over again you find that that people that have had success or or are in find themselves in in a good opportunity they attribute a lot of that to mentors so i thought that was i thought that was quite interesting now i have to ask i want to dive into the churchill method because you talked about it and and i think it's a will be an interesting conversation for our listeners but i wanted to ask Kind of rewinding right back to when you first started, you you went to shoot clay pigeons with your friend, and you said you were hooked as far as you, you were interested right away. Were you a natural shot? Were you a natural shot right out of the gate, or did you have to figure your way through it? 
No, I had to figure my way through it. Uh, I'd just come out of the army, uh, and of course, uh, even though not coming out of the army, I was, I was a typical man. Uh, I mean, because all of us men believe we can shoot. And of course, what we do is that we base uh, this uh, shooting inheritance on the fact, of course, well, yeah, we're hunters, and, and of course, every man expects to know how to shoot. And the problem <laughs> is, and, and it still is today, 98% of us who shoot shotguns immediately come, come to it thinking that all we have to do is apply the principles of shooting a rifle. Yeah. Well, that's, no, that's, I learned very, you know, and I did that at the beginning. But after, the, after this first lesson, you know, I, I realized that, hey, all I've got to do is point it. Um, you know, you, you, you actually only need to point it. And so it took me a bit of time to do it. And, of course, I follow the route. You know, I start shooting. I had a couple of lessons. And as much as the chap was a, a, a good old coach, he actually wasn't teaching me the real right thing because he'd never been taught to be a coach. He'd never done his, his any coaching courses or anything. So you had to work at it. So now, so I go from like 1980 up to literally 1990 where I meet Roger and I'm not doing too bad. You know, I'm shooting clays. I shoot pre-mounted gun up or, or high guns, it's referred to here. Then, of okay. course, see all, all these good guys shooting gun down. And I naturally start imitating them without any understanding of why really I'm doing it. Um, I mean, as we all do. So, of course, I go along, I go along, and of course, I meet Roger. And it's like that Blues Brothers moment. I remember when we were in the, the classroom doing the bit and he really showed me how a gun, a shotgun needs to be mounted to the face and not to the shoulder and how easy it actually is. Um, and then when I met Roger, I then relearned to shoot again. I, I relearned the Silcox, which is the Churchill method. Um, and it, it's really just very simple. It's just about using your natural instinct and your natural ability to point. So it's, it's you, you like you come full circle. You know, you'll go out there thinking, you know, at the beginning, shooting it like a rifle. No, wrong thing to do. Rifle's got nothing to do with it. And if I can say to the, the listeners now, if you are shooting your shotgun like a rifle, then it's like trying to play golf but with tennis techniques. <laughs> they're, they're, they're similar games, but you, 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 it's just completely different. Um... And, and so I learned with Roger. But, but again, if you go back to the Churchill's technique, incredibly simple. It's just based on your instinctive ability to be able to point. The most important thing about the whole system, though, is being able to bring the gun up to your eye in the most efficient and consistent manner, which, regrettably, we, none, of us, we, none of us men really pay enough attention to it. Um, it, it's just, you know, we don't think about it. Um, but it's very simple. It's very easy to do because basically all, all the barrels of your shotgun are, are, are is an extended pointing finger. What we have to learn is to line that extended finger up with our eye and the object at which we're going to point, which we're going to shoot. Um, and that takes a bit of doing because you don't put the gun in your shoulder. You put the gun under your cheekbone so the rib of the gun lines up with your eye. And you have to do that. You don't put it in the shoulder and drop the head down to the gun. That's the last thing you should do. But regrettably, it's the most common thing that we see, you know, we, we see people do. Everybody thinks, I've got, oh, got to put the gun in your shoulder. No. Put the gun, it comes up to your eye, then you put the gun in the shoulder. Because all the shoulder is, is basically a backstop to keep that long finger 
and you're right. It's, it's, that's the basic simplicity of it. Just point your finger. Um, and of course, as Churchill says, he never believed in, in you, you never should lead with the system that, that he does. It's, a, it's an unconscious natural ability. And also, as a gun fitter, the one thing I was taught, what Churchill said, is you never fit a gun to a poor technique. What you do is you make the shooter use the correct technique to mount the gun and stand properly. That's when you can do and start a definitive fit. And, and I hope that's exactly what I do. I, I, you know, if you come to me for, a, uh, for your lesson, the first thing we do is I check the way you stand and most critically, it's the way you mount the gun. If you mount the gun in, an, in, the, in the correct way, in the inefficient manner, um, you end up either shortening the stock or overlengthening the stock because your head's not in the right place. Lots of things like that. But Churchill, it's just very instinctive, and it's just all about just based around pointing your finger. Yes, that's 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 a that's a I think a great great overview of the method, and and I I've done. A little bit of research. I've become familiar. I won't say any any more than that. But I've become familiar with the method. So the concepts the concepts are they certainly ring true. And I've 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 had one one lesson now. I've had a little bit of instruction and in using a method that's very similar. I don't know that that the instructor would call it the Churchill method, but very similar. And and I mean really, it's it's quite quite amazing to see. I think when when those things do come together because. As you referred to a number of times, it is it is a very simple method and technique that is, it's made to feel that way. It's made to be unconscious and it's made to be something that comes naturally. And when it works, it feels it feels incredible. But it, it's very simple, and and I find that very unique. Now, let's let's I'll, let's try to dissect it a little bit because we touched on a lot of concepts. But I'll try to ask you some questions and dissect it a little bit. Sure. Let's start right right from the beginning. If we're if we're talking about shooting a rifle, more than likely we're talking about having our off eye closed. You know, if we're a right-handed shooter, we're looking down the barrel with our right eye and our left eye is closed. That is not the case with shotgun shooting and the Churchill method, correct? No, that's right. Basically, a shotgun was designed to be shot with both eyes open because you don't aim it. There's no gun sight. Uh, the eye, the Mark One eyeball, is the gun sight. So it was always designed to be shot with both eyes open. Because don't forget, it was out. You, it was uh, a shotgun was designed as a hunting weapon. So like, and, and this is what I love very quick. It's what I love about up and shooting here in America. It still is the most traditional form of hunting. Okay, it, it, it's, I love it. I think it's brilliant, and, and it's and it is instinctive. Um, but you shoot with both eyes open. And that's if, of course, the if you're right-handed, if the your right eye is what we call the dominant eye. This is the eye that's receiving the information that's passing it to the brain that enables you to point your finger. Now, it's very simply a very very interesting fact. Uh, I learned early on that uh, female shooters, shotgun shooters, if they're right-handed, 98% of them will have an opposite dominant eye. And you can try this on all your wives at home. Whatever, but don't let them listen to this podcast because the reason <laughs> the reason why women are ninety eight percent opposite females are opposite dominant eye is because they use both sides of the brain and we don't, and that's a fact. <laughs> wow, and it is true. It is true. 
Now, I have to say very quickly, I'll add something onto that, that uh, recently, in, in maybe over the last five or six years, I, I've done a little bit of research because I've had, particularly when back in the UK, I had a lot of young young lads coming up to, to learn to shoot, um, you know, from 11 onwards and, and, and so on. And I remember going through one summer vacation when the boys were coming in with their first lessons, and I'm taking all my notes, and it's a really quite a considerable number of these boys were right-handed, left-eye dominant. And, I, and I'm thinking, what's, I couldn't really work it out. But it was, a, it was it just all of a sudden. And then one day, a chap comes in, and he brings his two sons in, and uh, Archie is having his lesson, and, and he says, oh, okay, can I, can I leave, uh, apart from Archie, can I leave George with you? I'm just nipping in. Uh, we were in near Newmarket. He owned a race. He's going, can I leave George with you as well? Yeah, okay, no problem. So I do a little bit of gun mounting patch in the middle with our, in the mirror with Archie. And we're just about to go out and shoot. And I say to George, George, you're going to be okay. And he looks up. And he, he was about nine years old. And he said, yeah, okay. But it was in the days when Game Boys first come out. And all of a sudden, I looked down at him. And, of course, what was he doing? And if you play computer games, I'm sure many of your, your listeners are doing you're using, he's using both hands. He's using both hands. Like he's got left and right, and then of course he's he's, he's literally, you know, his thumbs are moving the, the the control buttons, and his fingers are shooting things down. Yeah. And I thought that's really interesting because of course all these young chaps now starting to use using both sides of the brain, aren't they? Okay. And and I went on, and to be honest, it became very common. I was asking the boys, "Do you play computer games?" Oh yeah. And Immediately, they, I think there's, a, there's a, a situation where this is generally having an effect. So eye dominance can change, and it is true. I, I had a chap yesterday come to see me. Very quickly, eye dominance can change with, with age. Uh, it can certainly change with stress and tiredness. Um, and again, I, I've got men here coming in now in these days, a lot of people working on computers late in the evening. Check your eye dominance before you. If you're going to shoot the next day, check your eye dominance because you know I bet your eye it will change. So if we go back, a shotgun, both eyes open, providing the eye, the dominant eye is on your preferred side. So if you're right-handed, left, you know, right eye. The other problem comes now is if you're right-handed but your left eye is dominant, you you face the option of whether you you learn to shoot off your left shoulder, which is not that easy. There are some people out there that say that's what you've got to do. Well, if you can do it, fine. And that, and you're lucky because it takes time and practice to do it. I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it now. It's far too much effort. So the option is that you then either shut the eye if you if you've got good muscle control, or you use some uh, blackout system over the iris of the eye uh, that when you then bring the gun to to the face. Uh, the left eye is blacked out, and immediately the right eye will take over. Um, so there are, there are options. And so you, you can learn to shoot off the left shoulder. I know people that have done it. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of a hardcore that people say, oh, yeah, you've got to do it. Well, it's not always that easy. The critical thing is, if you are opposite eye dominant, is to make sure you shut the eye before you commence the movement of the gun mount. If you don't shut the eye, whilst that gun is coming up to your face, the, your finger, the extended barrel, will be travelling up under the dominant eye. And then you'll find out when you shut the eye, oh, you, you've got to realign the barrel. So if you do shut an eye, the time to do it is before you be, commence the gun mount movement. 
Um, so, yeah. But again, total method, both, you know, good shotgun shooting, both eyes open. It was never to be aimed. You use peripheral vision. Um, now you keep your eyes on it, see the bird. And again, very quickly, I bet those listeners, and, and this I guarantee happens, if you're an upland shooter, the bird you always hit is the bird that gets up in front of you as a surprise. You, oh, yeah, bang. You just point your finger at it, bird drops, bird down. The one you miss is the one that gets up maybe a little bit in front of you and it gives you time to think. Oh, and then you oh, get the gun up then, and you end up aiming. And once you aim, that's it. Forget it. it. You know, don't even pull the trigger. So it's about pointing your finger, both eyes open, peripheral vision. See it, mount the gun, line your finger up with your eye, pull the trigger, spot on. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the bird that we hit is, is the surprise bird. I I was actually at a, a shoot last weekend. It was a 16-gauge shoot in the Twin Cities, and we shot. We started out by shooting sporting clays, and for those that are familiar with sporting clays, I assume many listeners, you you, you know what you're up against in that you, you typically know the path of the target, and it's the same every time. And we started with that, and I shot absolutely terrible. I, I could barely hit a single clay it just was one of those days you know and then you lose your confidence and you get rattled just like being on the golf course well then we had lunch and after lunch we went over and we shot uh flurry which for those that don't know flurry is it's the exact opposite of sporting clays in the sense that you really don't know where the clays are coming from and they come at intermittent paces so you basically the the clay puller will say go and then you stand there and you shoot I think we were shooting rounds of 22 clays and they would just come intermittently from all different directions. And when I did that, where I had no time to think about it, no time to prepare, and I was just struggling to keep my gun loaded, sure enough, I started hitting some clays. And then, then I, you know, I got a little confidence back. And for the rest of the day, I did pretty well, even on, even on some stations where I knew what to expect, my shooting improved. So it was that, it was that I had to get... I had to go unconscious and, and not think about it so much where I was I was really struggling on the, the sporting clays course. Well, you did right, because obviously there's really shooting a shotgun is not a thinking man's game. It, it, it wasn't designed for you to think. My, <laughs> my wife, Brenda, always reckoned that I was so good at this uh, because I wasn't equipped to think. So <laughs> well, that, that, that's Brenda's reason why I became good at it. But it is true. And you see, to, went, to be honest, very quickly, when you're shooting animal objects, when you're shooting clay targets, uh, of course, uh, you have time to think. And you do start to think about it. We're men. We make things too complicated. Yeah. Um, we start focusing on all this magical, I hate this word, lead, the distance in front of the target you've got to shoot. Then you start measuring it. And the worst thing, of course, what do you do? You immediately take your eye off the ball, i.e. the clay, and you look at the end of the finger. You look at the yeah. end of the barrel. Well, you don't even squeeze the trigger. You take, it's like, you got to catch a ball, take the eye off the ball, you're going to miss it. If you're a golfer, take your eye off the ball, look at the club head, you're going to skew it, it's going to go. You must never, ever look at the end of the barrel. The barrel comes into your vision, into your peripheral vision, just like your, your pointing finger. Uh, you never look at it, it comes into your peripheral vision, and, but you never, ever take your eye off the bird or the ball. And again, I think always with, with natural, with upland shooters and wing shooters, um, when you shoot clays, the problem is there is too much time. And what the way I look at it, or why I phrase it, is the trouble is you're having to use your instinctive ability, which is still the point, you know, line, the, line your finger up with your eye. But you're having to take your instinctive abilities 
and apply it in what I call a positive response. So it really, it's a combination of two. You, you've got to use your instinctive abilities, but you have to apply it in a processed way. Um, very simple thing, I call it three Ps. You know, as long as you, you use this phrase, if you pick the target up with your eye, you point at it and you make contact with it. Once you make contact, job done, pull away and accelerate away from the target as you squeeze the trigger. Um, and as long as you've made contact with it, even if you miss it, I guarantee that your brain, your onboard pilot, will, will tell you where you were. It will tell you you were either behind or in front and say, well, not enough. So if you make contact with that inanimate, if that target again and on this next one, maybe whatever the picture was you pulled away in front, just add 50%. Um, and as long as you make contact with it and you pull away, you're either going to hit it or your brain's going to tell you, oh, we were too far in front on that one. So you cut that picture maybe back by 25%. And you basically, you're, you're zeroing in in an unconscious way. But the crucial factor when you shoot a shotgun is to always make contact with the object at which you're going to, you know, the object to which you're shooting before you make any decision where to, to push the gun or advance the gun uh, in front of it for the pellets and the, the target to converge. With instinctive method, truly really with Churchill, is that system actually does away with, with, with lead. It, it, he, he says you throw, this is a, a concept, he never could get his head around, and you should throw it in the trash bin. Um, and you can read that in his book. And he just relied on basically the natural momentum of making contact with the bird and that, and that, if you like, that momentum the barrels have picked up by the time you've made contact that pulls it away. And in actual fact, it's the same as a golf swing. So if you want the ball to go further away, you just bring the club head further back. So you generate much more power and momentum. By the time the club head hits the ball, whoosh, you know, you're never going to be able to stop that club head following through. But it's that follow through that actually sends the ball the right distance. And if you are shooting a shotgun, you really just need to apply that same principle. If the target's further away, get the gun further down and make a bigger movement. It will generate that natural swing, uh, subconscious swing on once you've made the target. So the contents with this Churchill method, gun comes into the face, basically squeeze the trigger. The gun comes into your face, slots into your shoulder, you've made contact, the, the barrels are naturally accelerating forward of the target and you squeeze the trigger. Um, so we go back to the Churchill method and that's basically it. The trouble is for us men, we don't want to make it too complicated. Oh, no, no, it's far too easy. Well, that's exactly what it's about. Um, regrettably, uh, like all games as they evolve, particularly these days in sporting clubs, um, I do believe there's, there's too many people trying to make it too complicated because, um, uh, how can I put it? They, they have um, an interest in making it too complicated. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've talked about that before. But the great thing is, is if we can, it, the hard thing for us men is to just go back to the fact and say, actually, it's really, all I've got to do is point at it. The most important thing is to line that extended barrel, the rib of that gun, up under the RSMI eye. And that's it. That's all I've got to do. Just treat it like a golf swing. Get onto that bird, keep that power on as you squeeze the trigger, and never take your eye off the ball. Whatever you do, keep your eye locked on that bird, just bang, the away you go. Right. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, that is that is certainly certainly sage advice and and something we can all work towards. I want to get to I want to dive into GunFit, but I can't move on because I want to I want to unpack just a little bit further the part about making contact with the target, specifically how it relates to shot feedback. And what I was going to go, I'm glad you mentioned golf a couple times. I know I mentioned it earlier, but I was I was having this conversation after the shoot I was at last weekend with my buddy, and and sure enough, we were we we we, we had downed a couple of beers, and we were talking smart and trying to figure everything out, right, Keith? But but we we were, <laughs> and so so the the clear difference for me at least between golf and sporting clays is the amount, and maybe it's just because I'm missing it. I'm hoping that's what you can help help me with. But the amount of feedback that you get when you swing a golf club and hit a golf ball, it seems dramatically more than when you shoot at a clay and miss. Because when I swing a club, I hit the golf ball. Not only can I see where the golf ball went and how it reacts, I also felt my club going through the turf and the ball. Whereas if I shoot at a clay and I miss, the clay doesn't break and I don't know, other than what you were talking about, that mental picture, you know, I have that brief mental snapshot where I think I was, but I don't actually know. I don't get a lot of feedback from a missed clay. So how do we approach that, and what what are some things we can look for to help us learn from each shot and each miss? Okay, it's very, it's very true what you say. Um, I guarantee when, when you take a shot, particularly at clays, I guarantee the, the, the feet of the shot, even even halfway out, you know you're going to break it. You, yeah, I've got that. Ah, gosh, I've got that one. And then there'll be a times when you, you go to take a shot and, and you shoot at it and you just you just got no idea what went wrong. Um, as Chris Paddock used to say, for a lot of people, what's hit is history, what's missed is a mystery. And <laughs> then he, I like that. And, and then he used to tell me, my job as a coach was to take the mystery out of why you missed. Yep. And it, it isn't always about the you know the barrels being the right you know the the, the what this dreadful word the the distance in front the lead in front of it the shot starts from your feet up but I do go back and one of the things that I I stress is that if you a, a lot of the time we we're taking a shot and we don't really truly make contact with the clay with the bird you know we're thinking too much about this distance in front. And invariably, most people end up roaring the gun away. They move away too quick. They get in front of the bird. And that's the worst thing because all of, all of a sudden, you know you're way too far in front. And you think, oh, I better stop and wait. And so you stop the gun. You try and wait for the target. And you've got no chance. You stop the gun. The bird goes by. You shoot behind it because you're shooting with the, with the gun that's now no longer moving. So as I said to you, that the real critical factor is what you need to do is to make, when I say make contact, you need to pick that target up with your eye. Now, that's the place where your eye focuses on the target, on the beginning of its flight path, as a clear, solid object. Okay? Now, of course, okay. there's two things. If, if you're going to shoot gun, low gun, gun down, as, it's, as a shotgun should be shot, obviously, what the gun should do is that the gun shouldn't be looking directly under your eye. Uh, the gun, like your finger, needs to point. Now, of course, as you start looking at it, the finger will rise up and it will converge. That's the key. Remember, your shotgun needs to come up and it converges on a flat diagonal line to make contact with the clay. 
That's what you should do. Now, if, of course, you're shooting pre, pre-mounted, gun up. Remember now you're shooting at a disadvantage. When you shoot pre, pre-mounted, gun up. You, I'm afraid of effectively turned your shotgun into a modern-day musket. Because that's why go, shooters who shoot pre-mounted have to see a positive picture of distance in front. This dreaded word, lead. It's because your ability to point is much more restricted than if you're pointing, or if your your finger is moving from a gun down position. Much more natural. So, but on both systems, the critical factor is is to be able to make contact with that target. Don't rush the gun ahead of it. Um, don't come up from behind it. Mount the gun onto the bird. Move with the bird, even for only for a millisecond or a heartbeat. You move with it. You so you pick it up. You point at it, make contact with it. Now, the great factor about this is you've given the brain a base point to make a judgment. You see, when, when we're driving and whatever, we're, we're able to put the car through small spaces or we make judgments by using objects in the back. The brain uses objects in the background to, to use as reference points. Now, the problem is, when you're shooting a, a bird or a plane in the sky, you've got no reference. It's a big sky. So the only reference point you've got is the target itself. Okay, now put the come up, put the gun on the target. Once you've done that, move with it. So you've now you're moving at the same speed. To <coughs> me, you're moving at the same speed. You're on the correct flight line. You're moving exactly on the line of the bird. Now, once you've done that, that's job done. Immediately pull away and squeeze the trigger. Of course, like with a golf swing with a moving gun. Now, if you make contact, as I said earlier on, and you miss it. Your onboard pilot's going to go, God, yeah, Nick, you were too, you, we were behind that, you know. So I think, oh, right, okay, now I'm going to pick it up, I'm going to make contact, I'm going to point at it, this time I'm going to pull away. Now, if the picture, and I have to regrettably use a measurement here, let's say your picture was, was a foot in front of it, then the next time you shoot, pull away 18 inches. And I bet the brain, you'll either hit it, and the brain will go, spot on, we've got it now, or you might be behind. So the brain goes, no, we were behind that governor. You need to add a bit more. So next shot, pick it up, point at it, pull away two feet or the picture of what you perceive two feet to be. Mm-hmm. And the brain. So the most important factor is, is making contact with it. Then your brain has got a base point to make a decision. So ultimately, most importantly, pick it up, point at it, pull away. Now, if, if you're a rifle shooter, and or you're a, you're a bow shooter here, and you aim, you, you you do other sports in aiming. The problem at your brain times is that pulling away and shooting at the space in front of a, a target is um, it's illogical. Your brain goes, no, don't do that. You've got to stop, point at it. And this is why a lot of people stop the gun because the brain wants them to aim. That lost calls. Now, if you are somebody who finds yourself aiming because it's what the brain wants you to do. The way you overcome it, I tell you, give, give the onboard pilot a positive command. Tell it to deliberately miss. So you pick the target up, you point at it. Now tell your brain, deliberately miss it, two feet to the left or right, whichever it's going. And the brain goes, yep, yeah, I can do that. You give it a positive command. Now you pick it up, you point at it, you pull away, deliberately miss it two feet. Oh, all of a sudden the brain sees the clay break and goes, <laughs> oh, I, 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 hey, that. Hey, I like that. We'll miss the next one. And you do it again. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, and that's where again, like I go back to this three P's. 
you know, what we, what we need to do is refocus, get occupy occupy the, the, the Mr. Conscious. Let Mr. Subconscious do it. So if you use the three P's and you're focusing on this, pick it up, point at it, pull away. And I've had it today, and I say to people, look, don't worry about breaking the clay. All I want you to do is focus on the three P's. Pick it up, point at it, job done, pull away. And I say to them, deliberately miss it, two feet to the left. And, and they do it. And they do it again. I say, now, three Ps, pick it up, point, and they do it again. Now, the third one, I don't say anything, and I guarantee they'll miss it. And I'll say, you didn't say the three Ps in your mind, do you? And went, no, I said, because you it, and you looked at the end of your gun. They go, yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> right, back to the three Ps. So what you're doing is you're occupying Mr. Conscious, who wants to mess it all up. What you're doing is you're occupying the bloke who thinks he knows how to shoot, <laughs> And you're letting Mr. Subconscious, the, the chap who knows that, get on with it. Um, yep. And that's really, that's, that's a big mental thing. And it's like you, when you go there, you're, you're faced with all these new things. Uh, you start to try to think too much. No, no, don't do that. I guarantee, use the three Ps. Pick it up, point at it, make positive contact with that flying target. Once you've done that, pull away. And that will give your brain a base point. And there are other things then you can think about. Most importantly, um, a lot of it is about where you stand. Make sure that that lead front foot, that lead toe is pointing at, at the place where you really want to break the target. Because again, again, if, if you stand like a rifleman, regrettably, with your feet, like if you're right-handed and you're standing with your feet, at, your toes at right angle to the front line with a gun across your chest, well, that's no you ain't going to do it. If, if you're right-handed, you need to stand with your, your front left foot, your toe at 12 o'clock, the right toe at 2 o'clock. You need to be able to keep your shoulders relatively square with the shotgun. Don't let that, if you're right-handed, let the left shoulder creep forward. I apologize to the left-handers. I do it the reverse. Don't let that right shoulder creep forward because um, you start to shoot like a rifle. And the moment you do that, um, again, you're a lost cause. Um, again, if, if you stand in front of the mirror, you stand normal with your toes at 12 and 2 and you let, and you just hold the gun against your body in line with your hip, parallel to the floor, you'll find that the, the barrels will actually always fall in line with your left toe. Or Vicky Verky, if you're left-handed, let the gun rest with the toe of the stock on your hip and you're just keeping the gun parallel to the floor. The, the barrels will point at your right toe. Now, let's go back to the, say I'm a right-hander, so I'm looking in the mirror, I've got the gun over my toe, and, I, and if you go, you can go 45 degrees to the right before your, your back muscles go, whoa, stop, it's too tight. So that's your backswing, you're right-handed. So from that middle toe, turn to the right, okay, until your body says, no, that's enough. That's the backswing. So then you come, think of it like golf. Now I'm going to come down. As I meet my left toe, which is the place I'm going to shoot the target, that's the club head meeting the ball. Then, of course, I, if you go, I've got now 45 degrees to my left to follow through. It's just a golf swing. It's the same as a baseball swing. You, you've always got a 90-degree arc of movement, um, and that's what we need to do. But regrettably, if, again, you adopt a rifleman's stance with your feet off to one side, you're shifting the whole axis of that 90-degree arc of movement. So, again... Just basically, if you're going to shoot clays, just go into the, the, the station in the stand, um, have a look at the targets, decide where you're going to break the first one to give you the optimum pickup point for a second if it's a bear, 
Make sure that left foot's pointing at it. Make sure you've got that 45 degree of movement. You pick the target up, point at it, pull away and squeeze the trigger. Guarantee it will break. I like it, Keith. I'm I'm uh, I'm on my feet here. I always record my podcast standing up, so I'm on my feet. I got my left foot uh, pointed at twelve o'clock. I got my right foot at two o'clock, and I, I'm swinging back swing to four swing. It feels good. I like it. Yeah, and 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 I, and it is the, the the real problem. Nick, that all of us face, including me. I was the same. As a keep, I'll go back to you. Hey, I know all about these things because I was that soldier. I, I was doing it all wrong. Um. And if you do stand and, and try and treat your shotgun like a rifle, you're never going to get, you're never going to achieve your, your, your full potential of just naturally pointing that gun and shooting the finger. If, if your left shoulder, if you're a right-hander and your left shoulder's forward, two things happen there. Again, the, the way you stand and the way, that makes the gun misfit you. Because again, you see, if you're standing with your left shoulder forward and you're mounting the gun across your chest, it means that, Firstly, the butt plate is coming off the edge of your right shoulder. And secondly, of course, you've made the stop too short because your head's now too far forward. So there's lots of things that, that affect it. And the other, the worst thing to do uh, that affects your gun fit more than anything else is dropping your head. Don't, don't, you must never bring the head down to the gun. Bring the gun up to your eye. The gun has to come up under your cheekbone, not next to it, under your cheekbone, and then it slots back into your shoulder. Never put the gun in your shoulder and drop your head. Because you, you try and, if you catch a ball, would you ever drop your head, take, drop your head down and, and, no, of course you don't. You look up at the ball and you bring your hand up to the ball. So bring the gun up to your eye. Never take, you never take the gun sight to the gun. Bring the gun to the gun sight, which is the good old Mark 1 eyeball. And that again, I, I can't emphasize just how critically important that is. Um, and the worst thing, of course, I'm afraid, and I, I'm not, I bet, I'd like to take a bet there's a good percentage of your uh, listeners would now say, if you pivot the gun, and I say you're holding the gun, and you pivot the gun up into your shoulder, just lifting your back hand, that's the worst thing you can do. Because you're putting the gun in the shoulder, you're dropping your head. But watch the barrels, because you're pivoting. If you've got the barrels elevated, and you bring your back hand up, whether you're left or right-handed, the barrels are only going to go one place, and that's down. So what do you do? You then bring it up. You put it in the shoulder. The barrels have dropped. You dropped your head. Now you've got to bring the gun up. Now you're over the flight line of the bird. Now you come and you've just, yeah, it's a lost, it's a lost cause. <laughs> but, it, but, but the gun mount and the waistband are the two most critical factors in achieving consistency uh, and, and, uh, and instinctive shooting skill. Um, and I learned that the hard way. Uh, I had to learn to ring really out my guns. Um, to change any physical movement, it takes 2,500 repetitive correct movements before you, you can do it with muscle memory, where you can do it without conscious thought. And uh, believe me, I've mounted my gun a few million times in the mirror now. Um, <laughs> because even though I hardly shoot, I still go in front of the mirror two or three times a week and I do 10 minutes gun mounting practice. Because if I don't, I will lose muscle memory. And if I then go out and shoot, it will be all over the place. So again, it all links back. You know, instinctive systems based on the fact that Churchill had the right gun mount. Um, you need to mount the gun properly. You, you need to stand more natural and properly in, or in a correct fashion. Your shoulders need to be more square forward 
Uh, you mustn't have that front shoulder creeping forward, and you mustn't, whatever you do, try and shoot your shotgun like a rifle. Yep, excellent. Thank you for that, Keith. That was that's uh, that paints a paints a very clear picture, and and I think it's great advice. The bringing the gun up to the face is an interesting one because I think I think I definitely you know it's something I'm working on, but I was had a real tendency to you know pretty much slam the gun into my shoulder and and drop my face down on it, and and when I when I now do it correctly and bring the gun up to my face and really really make a make a concerted effort to keep my head up and not lean over or lean forward i mean it makes a makes a big difference and it feels more relaxed and and it's it's something that i've been again trying to trying to work on and, and uh it's very interesting now let's let's talk a little bit about gun fit specifically because i think it tends to get overlooked sometimes because a lot of people just have a gun and that's what they shoot because that's the gun they have and it's sure. not i don't i don't think it is it is in our culture as american upland hunters to say i want an upland hunting gun i'm going to start with gun fit i don't think many people start with gun fit i certainly didn't it's something that i'm exploring now but talk a little bit about the importance of gun fit to a method like this and then I guess how you approach that, you know, when somebody already has a gun that they like shooting and, and uh, I guess, you know, how, how you would sort of take a look at that. When, when you come up, as you said, we, we, we quickly go back. The, the first two critical factors with a gun fit is getting, getting somebody to stand properly and then mounting the gun properly uh, because that, as I say, affects the, the fit of your gun, particularly if you're putting your head down. If you're moving the head down to the gun, uh, you're effectively shortening the stock. You're extending your, your head forward, and you're, you're shortening the, the length of the stock. And when we talk about the length of the stock, uh, the measurement truly is what we call length of pull. Uh, and that's from, if you like, from the, you know, the front of the trigger back to the middle uh, of, of the butt plate, of, you know, the center of the butt plate. Now, that measurement is critical. Um, and then people say to me, but what, what about cast and, and, and cone height? Well, generally, for most modern guns these days, they're built for Mr. Average. And if we've got the right stop length, then, to be honest, the cone height should be naturally at the, at placed, and, you know, to get the eye on the rear. Um, the cast, uh, generally, if, if there's no more needed maybe than about an eighth to a quarter of an inch cast, because all cast does is it follows the line, obviously, from your shoulder coming up through your neck to get just to line the rib up under your cheekbone. So there, aren't, there shouldn't be great changes in that. Now, of course, if, if you come along and quite naturally, why, when we do the mount, we get the mount correct. If I see that the stock is too short, excuse <coughs> me, that will mean <coughs> that your, your, the tip of your nose or your cheekbone the tip of your nose is almost on the cone, then that's far too short. Because then, of course, you're trying to squish your head down because because the stock's short, you know, naturally, if you're if it's under your cheekbone, your eye's going to be way too far above the rear. So immediately I'll see that. Now, generally, with a, a good sporting gun, um, a trap gun is a little bit different, but if you're going to just a normal field gun, sporting gun, the, the great guide, and this is what I was always taught, when the gun is mounted properly, 
and uh, you've mounted it properly without dropping your head, you brought it up, you should have the width of three fingers between the tip of your nose and the comb of the gun. Now, that actually should put the iris of your eye smack on top of the rib of the gun. So that's what we're looking for. Two to three fingers should really do it. The only time things change is if I'm dealing with somebody that's got um, a different physique, different physical elements. I was taught to fit the gun to the uh, to the physical, uh, if you like, structure of the shooter, not his bad technique. So, for instance, you can come to me, we make sure we've got the gun mount right, then I'll fit the gun to your physical characteristics. Now, people say to me, why is it three-finger gap between the tip of your nose and the end of the cone? Well, actually, I don't know if your listeners can, can do this, or you might try it. You get your three fingers, and if you're right hand, you're on your right hand, put the, third, put the lower finger right, tuck it under your cheekbone. Right, under your cheekbone. Then put the other two fingers on top of that, and I guarantee the top finger is actually just sitting below the iris of your eye. And if you then lay that forward, that's where the three finger gap, because if you're cone to nose, your three fingers, that's where your front of your cheekbone is, you raise it up, and that's where your eye sits on the rib. It's an old, just the, the right way of doing it, it's the old way. And that's where it works. So that's what we're looking for. Now, again, um, people going the, please forgive me the worst thing I think that's been invented is adjustable cones that's a trigun and the only time I've ever I, I, I used a trigun but adjustable cones it's a gizmo it's just telling you into buying a gun it's got an adjustable cone but what it is an excuse to now fit a gun to a bad gun mount to a bad technique you don't have to work at doing the gun mount properly if you've got a bad gun mount you just do oh, just adjust the cone I had a guy come in here with a brand new gun um, and, and nice guy, been up for one lesson with a previous gun, gets his new gun, and he opens the box and the cone's raised. And I said, Reno, did it come like that? He went, no. So was, was, the rib, was it flat? Was it a flat, flat cone? Yeah. I said, I know why you've done that. Said, you can. And he looked at me, smiled, and went, yeah, I'd raised it because I could. Yeah, no, right, and we, put it, put, put, we put the cone back. It was spot on. Absolutely spot on. I mean... Yeah. Again, regrettably, it's a gizmo that is convincing people to buy guns um, so they can make them fit. Well, at the, old, at the end of the day, if the stop left is right, uh, which is the critical, then the comb height will be right. If you've got a gun, and, and I, see, oh, I see some amazing things now with these bendy, bendy butt plates and laserable combs. I mean, I've seen, I had a bloke come in here the other day, and it was, he had a gun that you could fit the hunchback and not your arm to. <laughs> and I said, well, why got, let's put it back. We put it back, it was fine. But we had to adjust his gun now. Um, and and that's, that's the key. If, if you've got a good gun, uh, basically, if you've got a nice upland gun or a nice sporting gun, as long as you, when you mount it and you mount it properly without drawing your head down, bringing the gun up to your face, if you've got two to three fingers between the, the tip of your nose and the edge of the comb, shut your eye, I bet your eye's on the rip. Now, the other critical factor is, remember, the comb has to sit under your cheekbone, not next to it. I, I get a lot of that. The other thing being also is that if you, sometimes people come up and, and you know immediately they've got an opposite dominant eye because they're trying to roll their head over the comb to get their left eye down the rim. Um, and you'll see a lot of this. But I, you know, I have to straight, straight, getting people just to stay normal and straighten their head up, it is, it's quite a big battle sometimes. 
So it's very important that, as I say, just keep your head up, right? Just stand normal, keep your eyes parallel to the floor, bring the head up to the eye. It's the stop length that's important. But there are some, <coughs> there are a couple of other issues which I've come across here in America more than I have anywhere. And that's left-handed shooters coming in, shooting right-handed guns. I've had, I've had four cases in the last six weeks. One of them quite, quite dramatic where the guys and his son are both left handers. They've, they've got a whole collection of right handed guns. And when I say right handed guns, that's guns cast with cast off with the toe going off to the right for a right hander. And the, and the guy, he went out up, you know, he went out shooting. This was a while back. And he said, Oh, Keith, I've had a really off day. He said, and I really can't work out why. And I knew he was a left handed shot. And he had, he was, he had a lovely old fox. Brilliant gun. Lovely old fox, side by side. And I looked at it, and I looked at him. I said, is that you've been shooting today, David? And he went, well, yeah. I said, well, you're left-handed, aren't you? Yes. It's a right-handed gun. Is it? I said, yeah, look. And what you do, obviously, if you put the, if you take the stock of the gun and, and literally place it on your foot and look down the barrel and look down over the trigger guard straight to the end of the cone, that will show you if it's going off left or right. Now, if it's going off to the right, that's a right-handed gun. If it goes off to the left, <laughs> which is passed on, it's a left-handed gun. But I have to say, I've really, I've, I've, it's considerable number of people I've had come to me that have been shooting for nearly all their life with a right-handed gun. That's why they're trying to get, trying to get in your head out. It's a right-handed gun. They're trying to get their head over that You can see it. So most importantly, first thing, make sure if you're right-handed, you can't, your gun is cast either right-handed or neutral which is dead straight, and if you're left-handed, make sure it's cast on so that the toe is going off to the left or it's neutral. Really, really. I'm quite amazed that there are so many people that have come in with guns and didn't know that there, there are guns that are right and left-handed. And I, I have to say, this chap who had a collection of guns, he and his son, there's quite a serious side to this because we're doing it, and they're both amazing now. We're looking at all their guns, and the lad said, oh, this is going to cause a problem. So what, you know, what's that, Tony? So well, I've actually just bought my dad a brand new silver pigeon. Have you? Did you tell the gun, you know, did the guy at the gun shop, did you tell the dealer your dad's left-handed? And he went, yes, I did. I said, well, you need to make sure when you go home that the gun is left-handed. I said, for God's sake, don't fire a cartridge down it until you know, because if you fire a cartridge down it, second-hand. He went, yeah. right, okay. When they, he got home, they checked it, it was a right-handed gun. <laughs> and he told the man behind the counter that his father was left-handed. And the man behind the counter sold him a right-handed Beretta Silver Pigeon brand new. Now, obviously, that, in my opinion, is, is that's just not on. That, that's, that's bad news. Because yeah. the guy behind the counter should know. Now, remember... Don't always go to your gunsmith, and he ain't a gun fitter. Don't go, not every coach is a gun fitter. I'm very lucky I was trained. All these blokes, please forgive me, all these champion shots, they're not gun fitters. No one's talking about a gun. They're just a good shot. That's what amazes me. Why does automatically being a champion coach make you a champion shot make you a champion coach? And if you're going to go to a champion coach for lessons, boys, make sure you can go, you can shoot first. They ain't going to teach you how to shoot. They're going to teach you how to shoot a particular target by shooting so far in front of it. They're going to teach you how, how maybe the, what they find out in competition. But, sorry, don't digress. If you go back to the gun fit, very important, very important. 
The other thing being for upland hunters, this is something that, again, uh, which is happens a lot because it's been traditional. Have a look at the toe of the of your stock. The toe is the base of it. Now, if the toe comes to a sharp point, that is not made for upland hunting. That was made for driven shooting because I bet you've got a, a gun that's got its roots in being made in Europe. And you get a lot of this even now. Um, there's a lot of in, uh, Central European makers, Italian makers, selling you field guns that have got pointed toes because they're made to shoot driven targets. When you've got a gun with a pointed toe, if you put it vertical in your shoulder, and I hope some of you may try this at home, when you put it vertical, it will roll over your shoulder. It's a perfect fit. But then you bring the gun down, to lower the gun down to, say, a 50 to 45 degree angle. Now, once you go below 50 degrees to 45 degrees, you feel and know where the point of that, that toe is going to go. It's going to dig right into your, your muscle and into that, that, that tissue. Because a gun with a pointed toe is only ever made to be shot from 45 degrees upwards to vertical. They're designed to shoot driven birds. If you are shooting an upland gun, or you're going out shooting birds which are from a parallel up to 45 degrees, if you like where you're going to shoot, you need to make sure that the toe of your gun is rounded over. Otherwise, that point, will, the, the lower it goes, will dig in and hurt you, and I regret to tell you, it's accentuating the cast and pushing the barrel away from your face. So there's some, there's some points, and I see that quite often here. Uh, a lot of chaps, mainly you do upland shooting here. I mean, I know, you know there's a big thing for driven and people doing continentals, but mainly it's upland shooting. So if you're going to shoot a gun, that you're going to shoot a target from, uh, from if you like, a, a parallel position upwards of 45 degrees, you need to make sure the toe is rounded over. Pointed toe, hurting you, pushing the gun away from your eye. Well, that is a lot to chew on, Keith. <laughs> that's, uh, that is a, that's a lot of great information and hopefully valuable and beneficial to our listeners. Before I let you go, I, you know, I, we, 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 uh, I, I think we'll, we'll hope to have you back on the podcast at some point because uh, like I said there's a lot to talk about and uh, and some it's fun to always fun to share some stories and and you being a teacher and a coach I think you have a lot of great you know working examples that that are probably applicable to a lot of our listeners but before I let you go I want to ask you because you mentioned that you like to get in front of the mirror and work on some gun mounting so what are some tips possibly that one maybe some others what are some things that myself and other listeners can do right now today you know maybe when we're not at the range that we can work on some of those key foundational elements be they the gun mount or the stance what are some things we can do to improve our wing shooting today okay dead easy what you do is you set your driving range instead of going out to the driving range you're going to go upstairs and you're going to use the mirror the full length mirror in front of you <laughs> get your gun and you, you just stand in front of the mirror uh, most importantly, uh, close the gun and just let it rest across your body, left or right-handed. And I told you that it will normally fall in line. If you're right-handed, it's going to fall in line with your left toe. So you're holding the gun parallel to the floor. It's resting across on, from your hip, resting across your body. It's very natural, okay? So the first thing I'm going to encourage you to do, this is going to, this is going to be difficult for a lot of people, is with the front hand, make sure that the forefinger is directly under the fore end and under the barrel. 
All right? Now, that's going to feel odd because a lot of people want to put it at the side. Now, put the forearm across your palm with the finger extended directly under the forearm. Two things. Now, of course, the barrel is just an extension of your finger, so you can point your finger, forget the barrel, but it touches your, your left or right elbow in. Okay, touch that front hand elbow in. That supports the gun. Right, so now we're standing in front of the mirror. Bring the barrels around to point at your right eye by moving your feet. Just bring your feet around so then you're standing with your, if you're right-handed with your toe at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, not 3 o'clock or, or, or behind, make sure the heels are shoulder-width apart. Please make sure that if you're right-handed, the, the right heel is not behind the left. That means your shoulder's going forward. You want your feet shoulder-width apart, stand as natural as you can. Now, for left-handers, obviously, it's 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, okay? That's the way just then. When you stand in the mirror, you've now got the gun in front of you. You notice the gun is traveling across the body, be it right to left or left to right. So what you then need to do is straighten the gun up in the mirror. And you do that by extending the elbow joint with your front hand. Just push the gun. Now, it, feel, it will feel like you're pointing into the next county. But you'll see in the mirror, the gun is now straight. And the way you check that is just bring the gun back towards your head, your face with that front hand, and the, the gun should come next to your right eye. It shouldn't bash you in between the eyes. If it bashes you in between the eyes, the gun isn't straight. So now you get the gun <laughs> Now you get the gun straight. Now what you've got to do is you've got to mount the gun up to your eye, and you'll see it in the mirror. You, you can't move your head. Now the way you do it, keeping the gun parallel, using your arms in what I call a reversing piston action, you push the gun away from your body, push that front end, and you have to feel like you're overextending the piston away, okay? So you push the gun away, keeping the gun parallel, you bring it up to in line with your face, and you bring that, you reverse the piston back, so the gun comes into you, under your cheekbone and slots into your shoulder. Now, the critical factor is if you don't overextend that piston away, I guarantee your back hand will try and pivot the gun. Do not bring the gun straight up because, again, the gun, your, the back hand will put it in the shoulder and you'll drop your head. You have to push the gun away, lift the gun up, come back to your face, and it's face first, shoulder second. And I guarantee you, you see, by doing that in the mirror, you're going to see if you're dropping, and don't drop your head. Bring the gun up till it touches under your cheek. You must resist the temptation to put the gun in your shoulder. Bring the gun up to your face first, put it back in the shoulder. Now, the critical factor is you must bring the gun, you must dismount the gun in exactly the same method. You push the gun out and you bring it back down. Okay? Always in that big piston fashion, up and down. And your arms must work like a piston. And you bring it up to your eye. And that's what you've got to do. And the best thing you do is do it like you're bench pressing. Excuse <coughs> me. Do it in sets of three. Three gun mounts. Bring it down. <coughs> Sorry. You know, I've been wrapping it on again. That's going dry. Um, three, three, three mounts. Bring the gun down. If it's, a, if it's an auto, just put it, you know, just rest it. If it's a, an over and under, break it open and rest. Rest your arms. Do another three. And do it in sets of three. Do it in sets of three. Okay, but you must keep pushing that piston away. Bring that gun up to your head. Don't bring your head down to the gun. Now, you must stop the moment your arms start to fatigue. Because if you don't, then it, you won't do it properly. So five, ten minutes at the very most in front of the mirror. But once you start, I'm afraid, chaps, you've got to do it forever. 
<laughs> you, you, it, it, you know, you, you're gonna, as long as it's like, as long as you play golf, you go down the driving range. As long as you're going to shoot a shotgun, you need to get in front of that mirror two, three times a week, ten minutes. But it's that critical parallel gun mount in action, using that piston fashion, bring it up to your face, under your cheekbone, not next to it. And as I say, by doing it in the mirror, you mount the gun up onto your right eye. Uh, if you if you shut your dominant eye, shut the eye before you mount the gun. Very critical. Otherwise, if you're not, that finger, that barrel is coming up in the gun mounting process under the opposite eye, which you don't want. So if you do shut an eye, shut the eye, mount the gun, gun up to the face, big piston, that's it. And if you carry on doing that, I guarantee if, if just by doing that alone, you, you are going to improve your consistency and your you, your achievement, your, your your hit ratio compared to cartridge size, I guarantee will go up. Your shooting will become cheaper. There we go. There you have it, listeners. A real exercise from a wing shooting instructor that you can take with you up to the bathroom or in front of the gym mirror, wherever you got it. Uh, make sure those guns are unloaded. Get in front of the mirror and let's do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it tonight before I before I shut it down. And uh, so always make sure the curtains are closed. You don't want the men in black swinging through your windows, going you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Make, make sure you close the curtains before you do it, so the neighbors don't see. Yeah, exactly. Good, uh, good, good pro tip there, Keith. Uh, I know you've written some articles, and you have a you have a website. Where can people go to find out more about your instruction and and kind of what you do and and learn more about what we talked about? Okay, Nick. Well, it's very simple. Uh, of course, www dot. Then it's Keith K E I T H Coil C O Y L E dot com. That will get you onto my shooting school website. Then what you can do is go to latest news, the heading latest news. That will actually give you latest news, but on the right-hand side, it will give you the library and the archives, and you'll see there's lots of articles. Now, I've written a coaching series called Only Perfect Practice Makes Perfect. Now, if you go down that that list on the right-hand side, you'll see Only Perfect Practice, Click on that, and that will take you into the current eight articles in that series. The most important articles are number one and number two. Number one is all about the gun mount. And remember, that's applicable to whether you shoot clays, whether you're a driven shooter, or whether you're an upland shooter, whether you're a duck shooter. The gun mount is the golf swing. It's the most critical factor. So go there. Number one deals with that. Number two, and then it, it moves on. You'll also find there are lots of other articles I've written. There's a whole section on things on gun fit, which will, I hope, take the mystery out of it. And very quickly, Nick, before we go, I should have mentioned this. Chaps, when you measure a gun, or there's this, this old wives' tale, that uh, you put the, the stock in the crook of your arm in the elbow, and you hold it up, and if the trigger, you know, if your, your finger reaches the trigger. Um, gents, I'm sorry, it's an old wives' tale. It means nothing. Goodness sake! Don't ever use don't use that to think you can measure a gun. It's 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 an old wives' tale. It, it doesn't. All it measures is the length of your forearm against the stock. It it has no no relation to getting a correct stock length. Sorry, I'm, I needed to get that in. 
Yeah, no, no worries. I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's something that I had, uh, I had heard, and maybe you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. But yeah, it's, you know, you can see how it, it, it measures one thing, but it ignores everything else, yeah. and your bone structure and your shoulders yeah. and frames. Yeah. Oh, oh, wise tale, um, regrettably. Um, I don't know where it started, but it, yeah, no relevance at all. Don't, don't use it, guys. All right, Keith. Well, uh, KeithCoyle.com, I will put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, it'll be on the website so people can listen to this and re-listen to this podcast and, and try to download all the helpful information you provided, and, and then they can check out your website and read more about it. Keith, this was so much fun. I appreciate it. I would love to come down and shoot with you someday. Maybe that maybe we can make that happen, but uh, regardless, I would love to chat with you again and, uh, and, and learn more from you, Keith, because you're... You're a very knowledgeable guy, and I appreciate you sharing that knowledge with myself and the listeners of the Project Upland podcast. Thank you, Nick. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, thank you for letting me waffle on a bit. I, I must mention that this, of course, I have to say thanks to a, a member here at Green Acres, uh, a great guy called John Nordine. It was John who got, obviously, in touch with you and, and recommended yep. it. But, um, I appreciate the time. I, I've had great fun. I really, truly hope that some of what I said is going to is going to help guys out there shoot and and have great fun. We all do it for fun. Finally, of course, most importantly, the chaps, as the old saying goes, successful shooting is safe shooting. And at the end of the day, regardless of how good a shot we are, you're always judged by how safe a shot you are. So I'm going to finish on those words, Nick. Well said, Keith. I appreciate that. And like I said, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thanks, mate. See you all. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you, Keith. Bye. And we did it. That's a wrap on another episode of the Project Upland Podcast. I am your host, Nick Larson, and I would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Head over to projectupland.com. We've got a ton of great stuff for you over there. You can also contact us there. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We can talk about bird dogs, shotguns, hunting trips, future podcast guests. You let me know. Send me an email. And before the next episode of the show, don't forget to leave us a rating. Review the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit that little subscribe button. And share the podcast. You could be the next winner of the Project Upland Gear Giveaway. That's it for this week. We'll see you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.